Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Acts, chapter 23. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. A lot has happened in two days. Paul is at the end of his third missionary journey and he goes into the temple and he is accused, listen, he is accused of bringing a Gentile in the temple area of which Gentiles were to be off limits. And it was at that time that Paul inspired, incited a riot because of that. Although that didn't happen, he was accused of it, but a riot broke out. And while they were trying to get at Paul and trying to beat him, there's a Roman soldier. His name is Claudius Lysias. We'll find that out in 26 of chapter 23. His name is Claudius Lysias. And Claudius, Commander Claudius, comes and he pulls Paul and grabs Paul away from the situation. And he didn't know what was going on. So he decided to scourge Paul. Remember last week we talked about this whole scourging process was a process used to get an accused prisoner or accused person to confess a crime. We talked about that the last time as he bound Paul and he was just about to scourge Paul. And, and it was right at that point where the Roman soldier had him bound and it was about to bring the whip down on his back. And Paul looks up at him and he says, hey, he says, is it lawful for you to scourge? an uncondemned Roman. And when the Roman commander heard that, he said, "Uh uh-oh, big trouble. And he backed off and he took Paul at that time and he assembled the Jewish high court, the Supreme Court. The Jewish high court is made up of 71 elders and they're known as the Sanhedrin. So Paul is there standing before the Sanhedrin. He begins to share with them. And just as Paul begins to share with them, the high priest has Paul slapped in the mouth. And Paul looks at the guy that slapped him and says, God will slap you in the mouth, you whitewash wall, which is my favorite verse in that whole entire text, man. I love it. Why do I love it? Because Paul got angry. Now, I don't love the fact that Paul got angry. What I love is the fact that Paul was a real guy. Paul was human. And that's the one thing, saints, listen, that I love about the Bible. The Bible is real. The Bible is full of real people with real circumstances and real life. I grew up in the Catholic Church. And I remember 
you know, uh, there were statues everywhere. I don't know. You, if you got a Catholic background, wave at me. Okay, good. Then you know that there's like statues everywhere and there's stained glass windows and disciples are, you know, painted in stained glass windows and you have, you know, statues of Mary and statues of this saint and that saint. And I remember growing up feeling like, you know, I, that I wasn't like them, that there was, there was them and us and they were perfect and they were holy and I wasn't. And then I started reading the Bible and I started seeing and realizing that the men and the women in the Bible were just like me. They got angry just like I do. They got upset. They had struggles. They got depressed. They got discouraged. They had happy moments and sad moments just like me. And that helped me a lot because it helped me to see that, 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 that the Bible is real. You know, more than two people need to say amen to that. The Bible is real. It's God's word. It's the only real book. Do you know the Bible has been the number one bestseller for 2,000 plus years? We get all excited at Oprah's book. <laughs> Dr. Philip. It's a new girl. Rachel Ray. Oh, you know, they got a new thing. You know, God's word has been around indoors for how long? Yeah, in the Greek language, forever means, there you go, smart. God's word. And so Paul was a real guy. He got angry while the situation settles down, and Paul realized that half the court was Pharisee and half the court was Sadducee, and Paul sees an opportunity to divide and conquer. Watch this. Acts chapter 23, we'll pick up in verse 10. If you're there, say amen. Now, when there arose a great dissension in verse 10, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him to the Antonio Fortress. But in verse 11, the following night, look at this, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must underline that in your neighbor's Bible. Go ahead. I'll wait. (laughs) So you must very important. You must also bear witness at Rome. Stop right there. Give me your attention. Let's talk about this just for a second. Notice the Bible tells us that there was a great dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees because the Pharisees were legalists, the Pharisees were traditionalists, and the Sadducees, they didn't believe in anything spiritual. And they, they no, no heaven, no resurrection, no, 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 no hope of afterlife. No hope of afterlife. They were the Sadducees. I'll tell you something. If you have no hope, if you're here this morning, this afternoon, and you have no hope of afterlife, that you think this is all, that's it, you are sad, you see. Amen. Man, I'm thinking Chernobyl was right down the street here. My house is right over here at the light, make a left. I ain't going to tell you all my address, but I'm right over there. And then hear all this stuff and, you know, people, we got to evacuate and all this stuff. And, you know, honestly, I got to tell you, I'm not trying to hasten the process here. But but should the Lord cause 
something to allow something to happen that would wipe all the apex and all the triangle out. Look, my hope is not in the things I possess. My hope is not in my home. I heard some folk didn't leave their home. I'm like, what? Look, you can't hold on to the things in this world. Christian, your hope is in heaven. You're just passing through here. This is not, you know, look, if you got nice things, please don't misunderstand me. If you got a nice house, that's nice. Hand me over. (laughs) Cook me something to eat. I mean, let's fellowship. That's fine. But, But what I'm saying is that our hope cannot be in these things. Our hope is in the resurrection. Amen, saints? Our hope is in the fact that someday Jesus is going to take us out of here. And all of these little things, don't, don't, let's not be ignorant. All of these little things that we see are just signs pointing us toward the day in which Jesus is going to come. I, I really believe that. And people, you know, oh, well, all the things in Revelation, that just can't happen. And a third of the population wiped out in the book of Revelation. Oh, how can that happen? Listen, it can happen pretty easily. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. I mean, even here, just here, this little small city of Apex, even here, they're talking about, you know, all that happened and all the chemicals and things of that nature. And once the fire died down, well, then there's another concern as to whether some of these things, these chemicals and pollutants made them made their way into the water. And how is that going to affect one thing affects another one thing affects another. It's very, very easy for the for the things that the book of Revelation teaches us to happen on a global scale. If you understand that, say amen. amen. Very easy. That's why our hope has to be in the resurrection. And if it isn't, then you will be sad, you see, just like the Sadducees who didn't believe in anything spiritual. You see, so these guys are gathered together. They're, 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 they're arguing back and forth. We talked about this last week. And then you had the commander who, who came and he got Paul. And he says, I better get Paul out of here before they tear him to pieces. And so the commander took Paul. Remember last week we talked about him. We just read it and moved him away to his own uh, in custody for his safety. And you want to think about this. I'm sure that Paul was sitting in prison. Give me your attention. I'm sure that Paul's probably sitting in prison. And he's probably thinking, you know, I should have listened to that Agabus guy who took the girdle. Remember the story? He took the girdle. And he said, the man that owns this girdle is going to go bound to Jerusalem. Paul's sitting in prison thinking I should have listened to that guy. Or I should have listened to the prophet sisters who said, Paul, you're going to go to Jerusalem bound and you're going to suffer. And Paul's in prison right now thinking I should have listened to them. And here Paul is. Notice the Bible tells us God said he showed up and said, be of good cheer. What does that tell us? That tells us that Paul at this point, listen, close saints, was discouraged and Paul was depressed. And that's why God told him to be of good cheer. Because he was discouraged, he was depressed. Listen, saints, sometime the Christian life, sometimes we find ourselves discouraged and sometimes we find ourselves depressed. Can I get a witness? That's very, very true. Sometime this Christian life, we find ourselves discouraged. We find ourselves depressed. You know, I think often we feel like, you know, we're, as Christians, we're never supposed to be depressed. We're never supposed to be discouraged. 
and we're always supposed to have a smile on our face and always, you know, there are times where you will find yourself discouraged and depressed. And listen, it doesn't make you less a Christian because you find yourself in that place. It doesn't make you a half a Christian. If you find yourself, listen, in a place of discouragement and depression, you know, honestly, when you search the scriptures, you'll find that you're in good company. Because there are many saints in the scriptures that find themselves in seasons of doubt and seasons of discouragement. Take Abraham, for example, Elijah, David, Moses, Peter. Don't you remember doubting Thomas? It was Mary and Martha who said to Jesus, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mark chapter 9, read that in your own time, as Jesus said to the father of a demon-possessed boy. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And in hopelessness and helplessness and despair and discouragement and distress, the father said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Many men, godly men, And women find themselves depressed and doubting God, and it doesn't mean that you're half a Christian or less spiritual. Actually, it's natural from some time. Martin Luther, he's a father of the Reformation movement. And and listen to this, Martin Luther, his wife tells this story. She found Martin moping around the house for many days. And one day she went up and dressed for the occasion and she came down the stairs totally in black. And it was a little while. And and Luther said, whose funeral are you going to? And she said, God's. God is dead. And Luther said, what do you mean God is dead? And she said, well, the way you've been acting. God must be dead. She said, the way you've been acting, God must be dead. And then Martin Luther took out a piece of paper in the place of discouragement and he wrote the song, He Lives. And then he placed, get this, little pieces of paper all around the house, true story, with two words, He Lives on it. So whenever he felt discouraged or in doubt or depressed, he would just read those words and it would encourage his heart. True story. We do, many times, God's ministers and God's people find themselves in a place of discouragement and doubt. It can happen. You know, I've told you guys, if there's ever a time, ever a day you want to pray for me, please listen, pray for me on Mondays. Because Mondays, for me personally, are very, very difficult days for me. And as a matter of fact, not just for me, but for ministers even around the world, I've talked to, I've talked to thousands of ministers and, and they will tell you that Monday is a very difficult day because it's Monday after Sunday that they've been pouring out the gospel. And people have, and you know, there's spiritual warfare when God's word is going forth. Somebody say amen. There is spiritual warfare. You got to know. Satan is not happy that you're here today. Satan doesn't get up in the morning and say, I'm so glad they're going to church. I'm so happy they're going to be changed by the word. So when you get here, a lot of times Satan is seeking to distract. And it's the minister, whether it's me or any pastor, who is dealing with that spiritual warfare on Sunday and trying to work through it. And trying to pray through it and worship through it and then add, 
you know, three services onto it. And so you're pouring out and you're receiving from God and you're pouring out and you're receiving from God and pouring out. Well, then Monday comes and you are absolutely physically, emotionally, psychologically and spiritually spent. That's what happens. And there's some Mondays, I'm going to tell you guys, I am literally, my, my family will tell you, Mondays, I, I'm laying on the couch. I don't leave the house. I'm looking at the ceiling thinking about what in the world happened yesterday. Because I know that God got great victories, but you feel it on Monday. Spurgeon, I've told you, in his lecture to his students, he did a whole treatise or a whole teaching to his students And he entitled it The Minister's Fainting Fits. And he was talking about the Monday after Sunday. He wrote that way back in the early 1800s. So there's a spiritual warfare going on. And many times I feel, quite honestly, pretty depressed on Monday. Pretty discouraged on Monday. And I can honestly tell you, there have been many Mondays I would put my praise music on and I sit there, my, my, I was singing like I'm screaming, singing to the Lord, listening to my praise music. And God would often say to my spirit, Rodney, be a good cheer. You don't have to be depressed, be encouraged, you know. And so I can really relate as Paul is sitting in this cell all by himself, feeling discouraged, feeling defeated, feeling depressed, feeling like he's in this dungeon of discouragement, if you will. And the Bible says that Jesus, did you notice this here? Look at, look at verse 11 again. The following night, the Lord stood by him. In the Greek language, it literally means that God kind of just, Jesus just popped into his cell, which would scare me to death. I mean, honestly, it would freak me out. I'm the only one in the cell. And all of a sudden, boop, there's Jesus. I'm like, don't do that, man. You're scaring me, dude. But he was just popped in. He could, like, God, could you just walk through the door and slower and give me a break here, you know? And Jesus shows up and he says, Paul, be of good cheer. Now, listen at this. God is always saying be of good cheer to his people. What do you mean, Rodney? Well, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, Jesus said to the man who was sick with palsy, Jesus said to the man sick with palsy lying on his bed, he said, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus said to the woman who had a 12-year female problem, you remember? And the gynecologist had given up on her. And this woman came and she touched the hem of his garment And Jesus said, what happened? The virtue went out and felt something leave me. And Jesus turned to that woman and he said, be of good cheer. He said, your faith has made you whole. And that woman was healed that very same hour. Jesus is always saying, be of good cheer. Matthew 14, verse 27, the disciples find themselves caught in a storm and they're scared. And Jesus said, be of good cheer. I'm here Don't be afraid. And Jesus is still saying, be of good cheer, even to us today. Because in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus said to the disciples, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. 
Well, listen, when Jesus said, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age, he was talking to us. Because he wasn't talking to them because he knew that they would not live to the end of the age. So he was talking to us. And he tells us to be of good cheer. In Hebrews chapter 13, he said, I will never, what? Leave you or forsake you. He's always telling us to be of good cheer. So Paul, listen, is discouraged. He's kind of in the dungeon of doubt, if you will. Now, why? Listen, why is Paul discouraged? Why is Paul depressed? Listen, it's as simple as this. Paul is discouraged and depressed because Paul didn't think, listen, that he did a good job at sharing his testimony. That's why. That's why the text says, Paul, be of good cheer, for as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must testify of me in Rome. Paul didn't think he did a good job at sharing his testimony. And from all outward appearance, it may look like he didn't do a good job. Remember last week, the Sanhedrin, they had heard the gospel five times. Paul stood before them, shared the gospel. Nobody got saved. As Paul went throughout Jerusalem and went throughout cities sharing the gospel, people didn't get saved. As a matter of fact, everywhere that Paul went and shared the gospel, a riot broke out. I told you last week, Paul had the riot ministry, man. I mean, he just as soon as he started sharing, people were like, no, I'm going to kill this guy. So Paul didn't think that his ministry was effective. Paul didn't think that his, that he thought he was a failure as it relates to ministry. And now he's in prison and he's depressed. And Jesus says, Paul, cheer up. You've testified of me in Jerusalem. Or it could read this way. Paul, good job in Jerusalem. Good job in Jerusalem. Hardly anybody got saved. How could it be a good job? Because listen, saints, here's why it's a good job. And you listen close. Because God does not call us to be responsible for the results of our ministry. You understand that? Say amen. God, listen, God does not call us to be responsible for the results of our ministry. God sees things way different than we do. You see, we're looking at the ministry going, oh, man, I'm a failure. I just didn't do a good job. It's not working. Nothing's happening. And God is saying, no, from his perspective, it's a great job because God sees things different than we do. And God does not call us to be responsible to the results. God calls us to share our testimony and whatever the results are to God be the glory. Great things he has done. You see, in the church today, now I want you to listen close. In the church today, there is a misnomer. I understand what people mean by this, but it's not quite accurate. For example, how often have we heard people say, well, you know, I brought this person to Christ. Anybody ever heard that before? Good. Four people? Okay. Let me do that again. You ever heard anybody say, I brought someone to Christ? Thank you. I understand what they mean, but that's not quite right. Listen, it is not our responsibility to bring men to Christ. I figured to be pretty silent when I said that. It is not our responsibility to bring men to Christ. It is our responsibility to bring Christ to men. 
this is a huge distinction we must make. It is not our responsibility to bring men to Christ. It is our responsibility to bring Christ to men. Don't you remember when Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. We got to understand something. We cannot bring anyone to Christ. That is the work and the job of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says your responsibility is to lift me up. Your responsibility is to simply tell people about me. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to say, okay, you need to be saved. So as you're out there sharing the gospel with someone, the Holy Spirit is the one speaking to their spirit saying, you need to get saved. You need to be born again. You need to give our life to Jesus. Jesus loves you. Come. I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. Come. The Holy Spirit speaking that in their spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one drawing them by his spirit, bringing them to Christ. And then you say, would you like to receive Christ? And because the Holy Spirit has been drawing them or wooing them to Christ, then they say, yeah, man, I want to be born again. You say, good, let's pray. But you didn't bring them to Christ. When's the last time you got up on a cross and died for somebody? Are you feeling me? You understand You never did, and you never will. That's not your responsibility. We're to bring Christ to men. And that's a very freeing thing for me. I don't know about you, but that frees me up completely. I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. I don't know if y'all are excited about it, but I preach to myself. I love that. Because that frees me up because it makes me feel like I don't have to, like, because my greatest fear used to be share the gospel and then you say, would you like to receive Christ? And they say, no. Well, what do I do now? I don't know what to do now. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.